Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Micah. How's it going? Pretty darn good. How are you doing? Great. You're living life in the new part of Brooklyn? Oh, yes. I'm enjoying it. My apartment's still a little bit echoey because just one big room now. Mm, But lots of fun adventures I've been taking and uh, really enjoying myself here. That's great. I like to hear that. How have you been? I have been working too much, but making solid progress on the league membership section of the site, which is not yet pretty, But we're trying to figure out a handful of useful things to add in there with, you know, kind of what we already have that will be perks for people and make it a space that we can continue adding to so that as we do more workshops or add more nerd alerts, more content that is useful for your educational journey in typography, we've got a place that you can log in and and actually access it. So I know I've been talking about making a membership area for a long time, but finally making moves, which is rewarding for me to see happening. I'm so excited to see it. I know you are a coding and design genius, so it won't be anything short of awesome. Oh, I don't know about all that. I think so. I think (laughs) we all know that's true. Speaking of design genius, we've got a lot of fun articles to talk about this week all over the place from the history of the asterisk to new logos coming out and pop culture controversies with music logos, which is fun. Mm, Um, And you've got a sweet nerd alert that made me excited to hear about. I was just waiting for you to tease it. It is going (laughs) to be a little history overview of the drop cap, the very charming character that I feel like you can't not love as a Mm. designer and type lover. And you know why we have it in the first place and kind of how it's evolved over time. That sounds fun, especially because I know you're a huge fan of, we've talked about before, Jessica Hish's old drop cap project that kind of put her on the map. That gave drop caps a lot of love. Yeah, lots of love for that project. It's going to be fun. All right, let's jump in, my friend. Well, not too unrelated from some type history. We have an awesome article um, published by Kermulian, who is a league friend and fan over in the UK, They sent us this article being like, I'm a nerd myself. Check out what I've written. And I've had Olivia's voice in the back of my head while I was writing that. So I love to hear that. That's amazing. (laughs) But this article is so in depth. My goodness. I learned so much about the humble little asterisk mark, even its origins. It was invented around maybe 200 BCE and how it's been used both as something to mark up text to make you call attention to a fine print of some sort, and also as the multiplier symbol, which has been largely controversial for years with mathematicians. That kind of makes sense. I always thought that was a little weird that like yes. to to program multiplication and division, like those characters exist in a lot of fonts hmm? and, and weird that it's difficult enough to type, I guess, that, you know, they decided to use alternates. Yeah. I mean, I learned about this whole new symbol. I had no idea called the saltire, 
which was a rotated plus sign, which was used for multiplication for a certain period of time. Mm -hmm. I think ultimately the asterisk made it onto the keyboard and whatever makes it onto the keyboard in the typewriter era becomes kind of Bible moving forward, you know? So it talks about that evolution, gives examples of a bunch of asterisks that are out there in the font world and cell tires if you're curious about this rotated plus sign which is really fun Um, i definitely did not know there was a name for it before this article i always thought it was that the time sign is that's how it's described in html right so that was really fascinating details i did not know right it's such a good article this is just really great Lots of great history, and there's some funny nods to the asterisk with lots of footnotes throughout the whole article as well. <laughs> good point, good point. This is Very great. entertaining. Go read up on uh, that little uh, character that we are all familiar with. Our next article, very fun, from Design Week. Renault unveils new geometric logo in timeless rebrand. That was not bad. I've Thank heard you, you do much worse. I know. So why I just repeated that in a British accent is because Mike and I just recently looked up that there are two pronunciations for Renault. Which, if you don't know, is a design agency, right? No, it is a car brand. That's totally what I meant. That's, yep, (laughs) I knew that. That's what I meant. So Renault is the British pronunciation. And I was sure that everyone pronounced it Renault because I watched the F1 races, which is the Formula One car racing. And the commentators are British. So I always hear them say Renault. But Micah, you contested this with your research. And what was that? Well, my research means I put it in Google and said, how do you pronounce this? And Google has like these cute little cards with a person's mouth that you can play. (laughs) And it lets you switch between like the Americanized version and the British version. And so while the British version was Renault, the American version was Renault, right? Wait, no, did I get that backwards? You got that backwards. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Juggling too many accents in my life. (laughs) Renault, it's funny because Renault to me sounds more French than Renault, but... It's that classic thing of different cultures have different emphasis on different sides of the word, right? And I always mix it up. I always speak like an American and sound like a dummy, but I I can never, once you start thinking about it, I can never actually determine which one is is me and which one is what I'm Mm -hmm. aiming for. Well, it's a French car brand too. So of course they probably say it in a totally different way. But back to the whole meat of this link that we have. It is a new logo that Renault revealed recently. And it takes the car brand back to a very stripped down logo of just a couple lines kind of weaving in and out of each other. That is a nod back to their previous logo that has existed since the 1920s. So they you know, became more complicated of a logo mark in the 21st century. And now they're kind of moving backwards in time. Reminds me a little bit of Burger King. Reminds me a lot of like what a lot of brands are doing right now. Mm. Getting Stripping out their gradients. Yeah, that's a good point. I like uh, the visual here that describes the significant changes of logos in their history. I love mm-hmm. I love getting to see that for brands. I think that's just like such a fascinating visual history. I'm disappointed that they didn't, you know, throw it back closer to the 1925 version and get this Art Deco game on the road. Mm. What the heck? I was promised an Art Deco revolution. Not with electric cars. They can't be looking to the past. They that's gotta be such an Art forward. Deco thing. An electric car. That's like what they would be trying to do in the 20s. You're so right. That's so Missed true. Property. I want to ask your opinion because I've actually seen this 
for about a week now. It's been covered by a few different outlets. If you go to, to the last photo, there's a picture of like the new Renault cars and the logo is right front and center where it would be their logo mark of the two lines weaving in and out. And then they have their a typographic Renault that's got to be like two feet long that sits right underneath it. I'm just like, is anyone asking for that? Absolutely not. Nobody's asking for that. I think they took, maybe they took out some type in their logo mark. So they're like, is anyone going to know us? Guess we got to put Renault in like two inch high letters underneath this. I didn't really think about that, but that's that's a very plausible explanation. At the corporate level, right? Like there's always mm-hmm. some fear of, you know, name brand recognition and companies are always striving to be Nike, but then a little bit scared that mm-hmm. they're not quite Nike level, right? Yeah. Really, you just got to commit to it. That's the only difference. Ah. You just said, you know what? Why not? Okay, we're doing it. And everybody yeah. else is like, yeah, let's do it. Well, uh, well, uh, mm, mm-hmm. I agree the, the type underneath it. It, it's just not as cool if it was just the symbol and you like forced us to remember it. Right, right. I, I'm glad we have similar opinions on this. Important, <laughs> important stuff. Exciting though. It looks like cars of the future. They have no grills because it's an electric car and grills have become skeuomorphic throughout time with electric cars. They're I didn't really needed. think about that. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. There have been a handful of interesting electric cars that have hopped out lately too. We got to keep me informed. I'm not on the electric car news updates. Yeah, I don't know why I am, but they're cool. You you know your cars, though, Micah. I guess guess more than I, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, you do. Our next article, a little bit more running into the typography side of things. We have a lovely video article companion by our friend Oliver Schoendorfer. And it's titled Font Follows Feeling, a Brief Type Classification. And it talks about, you know, what feelings are evoked depending on what type classification you're using. So just like basic kind of things that sans serif make cue in your mind or script fonts make cue in people's minds to help you have a nice cheat sheet on like what you can use different fonts for in certain circumstances. Yeah, and surely it's subjective, but reading through his analyses of the categories, I I almost entirely agree with his suggestions here. And he keeps in mind a lot of digital design throughout it all, thinking about what can be used for functional text and user interfaces, which I think is like a new element that isn't necessarily in the design textbooks yet. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was, you know, super helpful. We always forget that courier is a slab serif font. I always forget that. Mm-hmm. Good point. And I really appreciate the giant handwritten category. You know, what a mm. sucker I am for handwritten. And, yes. and that's kind of it. Like he says, so like feelings, handwritten fonts evoke human, approachable, natural, friendly, authentic, down to earth. I have to admit that's 95% of why I use them so frequently to have some contrasting thing between here's a sans serif font that feels modern and clean and minimalist with something that's human and down to earth and con- contrasting feelings this is For such sure. a i totally agree with this assessment yeah just a great thing to keep in your back pocket i will certainly may want to reference this when i'm teaching newbies about typography you know what i really hate and it's it's not specifically from oliver's article he he has this section here on display fonts mm-hmm. and i hate that that's a generally accepted category that's just too wide for me. I can't I can't get behind it. Yeah, but it's tough because where are you going to put these? 
Right. I mean, that is always the category for weird shaped fonts or lines without lines or like shadow fonts or just weird bubble fonts or something weird, right? And I get it. And it's it's fair enough because that's usually the kind of crazy typography that will only work mm -hmm. for a heading and on display and not for body text or whatever. So I get mm -hmm. it. But at the same time, it's it's so broad that I feel like it must be difficult to see that as a newbie in typography and understand. I felt like I would totally avoid display fonts when I was learning typography because it was so intimidating. And it was also like, can I use these fonts? Because especially when you see it on Adobe fonts, it's like, here are the display fonts. That's very overwhelming. To look through, especially when you don't have examples of it. But yeah, and like some of these are display fonts because maybe they're like a stripe font. So there's stripes within the letter forms. And another one's a display font because it has the teeniest, tiniest negative space within the letter forms. Those mm -hmm. do two totally different things. So right. I totally feel you on display just being a catch-all and not totally thought through by the typographic powers that be. Yeah, maybe we can work on that. We'll think of an alternative. Yeah, yeah, I like that for sure. And you can think about you know, all those kind of obscure classifications we talked about maybe a month or two ago being there's a rotalic in this list too. And maybe if we all start to brush up on our kind of weird typography <laughs> classifications, we could, we could start a revolution. Yeah. 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 But in general, this Hard is a thinking. super useful educational breakdown that I think will be fun yeah. for anybody to read. Love it. All right. I also love our next article and this comes from Indian type foundry. They are introducing FontShare, a service that is containing free fonts made by Indian Type Foundry so that they can be accessible to all. So Indian Type Foundry mostly makes fonts that you have to pay for, for commercial and personal licenses. They've also made a few open source fonts, and those have been very popular. I know Poppins is on Google Fonts is how I found that one. I love it. It can be used in a lot of different ways. So they were encountering the situation where they actually said what out of every 10 inquiries we receive at ITF for a corporate license, seven of them don't go through because of budget restraints. And so they're talking about, you know, it's really expensive if you want to do licensing suite for a bigger brand that can really add up with their kind of payment structure that they have. So in order to get more high quality fonts out in the world and not have that be a barrier, they have decided to make 25% of their Latin fonts available to the public for free. And I believe they're committed to making every one in four fonts that they now release free for personal and commercial. Which is pretty cool, right? Yeah. Like Interesting take. Yeah. And, and it takes a certain commitment and you have to be in a pretty good spot to be able to to commit that much right yeah I was and like say. i don't i don't know any of the people behind behind them so i'm i'm not really sure how they can offer like why are they able to offer this i'm not sure there's a lot of details that i don't understand about this one of the things that i guess one of the things that actually makes this pretty revolutionary Maybe that's a strong word, but but at least like very unique and interesting is a thing that I don't think is highlighted well enough is that this is a service like Google Fonts is where they are hosting these fonts. You can just copy the CSS and use it on your site. And that is a huge commitment. You got to think if like we have, I, well, I have thought about offering this with the league for a very long time. 
but the potential costs of doing this is high. Like if yeah. the New York Times decides to start using this font, you know, some font from FontShare and embeds it in all of their pages with, you know, millions of views every 10 seconds. I don't know how much traffic you get, but I'm sure it's a lot. That's the kind of thing that like better stay up or everybody's fonts break. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I'm glad that you brought that up. It certainly it skimmed through my mind. I didn't really process that, but that's a very good point. Also interesting that I'm seeing boundaries that are offering, I don't know, a handful or a portion or maybe one or two fonts for free. We actually found one today because 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 we're reviewing the links in our member email this week. Our lovely staff, our intern, found an open source font offered by Production Type, which is a pretty schnazzy foundry. And I was surprised to see that they had a whole type family available for open source purposes. And I know, you know, Trey, he's open sourcing one of his, Trey Seals is open sourcing one of the vocal type offerings. And I think offering another one for free at some other point. So it's pretty interesting to start seeing that go around town. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I think the benefits of open source have come a long way in terms of like people recognizing those benefits. What I still hate to see, even these guys mentioned it, is just sort of saying a lot of free fonts are bad quality. And yeah. so we wanted to do something different. And I get that. But at the same time, people are looking at this and being, well, this is free fonts. And so how is that still true? You know? <laughs> Such a paradox. I know. Yeah. yeah. Like Because oh. these are great quality fonts. These are fantastic. Exactly. And, and, you know, like we also have obviously tried to maintain professional quality fonts in the league i know mm -hmm. google has spent tons of money and put a lot of effort behind their font development projects to try mm -hmm. to get open source fonts to be professional quality fonts and mm -hmm. so i'm just i'm just bored by the old free fonts suck conversation i agree i think the problem is is that so much of the perception of like the layperson's experience with free fonts is like defond or font squirrel. Like I remember even I don't think the, that's true anymore. I don't I I introduced quite a few people to Google fonts that had no idea that that was a project and that everything was free and their like mind was blown. I mean, I get that. I'm sure the majority of people who are using Google fonts have no idea about what what it is. But more and more people that I talk to and say, oh yeah, type foundry, they're like, oh like when you're using uh, Google and you can like select a font from the list. Hmm. And I'm like, yes, just like that. Wow. And, and I think Canva has exploded and, mm -hmm. you know, Google Suite has exploded. And those two things offer this giant variety of free fonts that maybe they, people don't understand what open source is and maybe don't understand like the service behind it and the work that goes into making those fonts. But I think more and more people are seeing it as that is what free fonts means as opposed to how we grew up with going to the fonts and downloading something that hmm. may be rough. Hmm. I'm sorry, I didn't listeners... say bad. I just said rough. rough. Just saying. Because, okay, yeah. well, so we, we also got an email from, from a member this week who we've had a lot of great interactions with, Derek Weathersby. And he was like, Hi, you, guys, you guys were ripping on John Mayer last time, right? Like for talking, <laughs> talking bad about about this exact topic mm -hmm. right and i also love john mayer Derek. so i get it do you i didn't oh, yes. know this oh okay. in high okay. school i cannot tell you how many open mics i did covering why georgia why 
Oh, I, I used to love playing Why Georgia Why. That was such a good song. That EP that he started with, we're going on a whole nerd tangent now. But I like, know. yeah. So I, I also love John Mayer. I definitely respect him. He's 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 an artist and not just in music. But it's still this debate, right? I think because of the tools that have existed in the last couple of years, more and more people, and I think maybe even my hunch says a majority of new people who are experiencing typography these days are experiencing free type as this magical, robust utility. And just they don't know where it comes from. They don't know the history or the depth of it. But I think it's transitioned from free fonts are bad to why would you pay for a font? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very interested if any of our listeners have hot takes. I'm a cusp millennial Gen z or but even anyone that's in the Gen Z generation, how are people viewing fonts? If you're in high school or a young designer and are trying to learn design, how savvy are you on the free font world? I'm very curious. Especially because like creation tools are so natural for the newer generations. A hundred percent. And it's such a different artistic mode now too of post post modern like post 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 modern I don't even know what we're calling it these <laughs> days but let's let's make stuff that we grew up thinking oh this is ugly and funny because that's what mm-hmm. the 80s looked like to like that's what it should look like now because that's what people want so okay. I'm curious too all right our next and last article <laughs> is a tangent fun one. this week I know it's totally fun and this is justice I'm talking about justice the electronic music artist group justice sends justin bieber a cease and desist letter over the font on his new album cover and you know it's lettering is what i would call it this is genius which is a music blog so i understand why they say font but it's the lettering justin bieber released a new album about like a week or two ago and it's called justice and he uses a cross motif in the t in justice And Justice, the artist, is claiming that Justin's graphic designer was copying their look. This one makes me chuckle. Like, I mean, okay, I I do love these topics of like, what is what is copyrightable? What's okay? What do you as a designer have to be aware of when you're making stuff so that you don't get a cease and desist letter or so that you can confidently ignore a cease and desist letter if you get it? But in this case, I look at these two things like there there are visuals in this article describing the two different things. And I'm like, they're not even similar. I, you even say cross motif. And I get why you say that from the drawing that he posted. Sure. But I don't know. When I look at the end product, it doesn't even explicitly look like a cross. It could no. look like a T. Yeah, I feel like I know it's a cross because I listen to the album. And I know he talks about religion quite a bit. But if we're talking about graphic designers, they should know better than thinking this is a copy. First of all, the Justice lettering on Justin Bieber's album, I am not a big fan. I'll say that. But it is very bold, very little negative space, but also like a very flat graphic. Not much going on as far as lettering details. Pretty straightforward. Have some ugly vectors going on (laughs) describe it i'm sorry i just really don't like it and then the justice the artists they post i think one of their album covers from 2005 crazy lettering that looks like it comes out of a medieval renaissance woodcut Mm. and insane detail on every single letter and weird serifs and like looked historical and 
looks totally different. And it's like, yes, there's a cross that's the lowercase T, but come on, these are different. These are different designs. Yeah. I, I kind of don't understand. I would I would love to understand, but don't understand from articles like this. What's the context on Justice's side to be like, we need to send the cease and desist? Right. I'm not sure I understand that background. And I'm sure it was not an easy decision to make to send that because that's going to offend people, right? But I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So the only fuzzy area is that Bieber's team emailed the Justice team back in May 2020 and wanted to talk to the Justice's graphic designer to talk about a logo. And like the meeting fell through. Some person didn't respond to somebody or some email didn't get responded to. And I feel like that's why Justice, the artist's team, feels justified in reaching out to the Bieber team because they're like, oh, they they were aware of it and they just ignored us. But I still feel like it's they're just not that similar. This is still a fun find. I'm glad we got to I'm glad we got to rip on it a little bit. I know. I know. Now is actually kind of a cool time to take a break and say, hey, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Adobe for helping to sponsor this week's episode. Their creative suite is one of the standards of design software and comes with a subscription to like a giant library of fonts that you can install, embed, use pretty much however you like. We've even got a few of our fonts in their library as well, if you're looking for those. And uh, we are grateful for them supporting the community with us. Totally. And thanks, too, to our members. Um, If you don't know, we've got a small and wonderful membership where for a tiny amount every month, you get awesome extra resources in our weekly typographic emails every week. Those are cool fonts that we found that you might want to add to your arsenal. Current jobs or gigs you might be interested in. Um, At the moment, it's only $5 a month, and we're upgrading a bunch soon. So hop in now if you want to get those goodies next week. All right. Back to uh, real, real type uh, discussions. We got some drop cap info facts history coming your way because it is nerd alert. All right. Drop caps. Also called initial capitals. So much catch here. So much more formal. (laughs) Initial capitals. Okay. They were commonplace in medieval manuscripts going back to all sorts of centuries we don't know that much about. So like 4th century, 7th century, different sources say different things. But we are picturing scribes in dark places using candlelight to write words sort of world. So scribes would actually use these drop caps or initial capitals to indicate a place marking on a piece of a manuscript. So basically they were used for two purposes and sometimes both purposes at once. And that was for navigation and decoration. So for navigation, you see a large letter, you know, it's the beginning of either a new paragraph or new idea. For a lot of medieval times, they were still innovating on how to write something that we just take for granted. So in many texts, maybe there were no spaces or in some texts, maybe there were no differentiators between sentence to sentence, and especially no differentiators between paragraph to paragraph, the way that we're very much used to that in our typesetting. And so they would have this large drop cap to help the reader know we're starting a new idea. We're starting a new section. Seems pretty straightforward. And decoration, oh my gosh. So people really went all out figuring out all the different ways 
to create drop caps in compelling ways and for such a variety of purposes. I found out the like, I don't know, I think six or seven different type of drop caps there were that existed back in the day for, you know, medieval manuscripts. And then moving forward, even after Gutenberg invented movable type, they were still using drop caps. But for decoration purposes, if you think about books and manuscripts, so maybe even before printed movable type, it would just be hundreds of pages of, you know, fairly gray rectangles. If you look at a page, you squint your eyes, that's what you see. It's mostly just text. Beautiful text because it was done with calligraphy, but that was pretty much it. So a drop cap gave, you know, some visual interest, which is still Mm. something we talk about today to a reader. And drop caps were a great way to do that. They're like, we're going to use this visual signifier that's functional, and then we're going to make it beautiful because it's going to make the production value of this manuscript go up. So manuscripts were when they were first used, but they continued on even after movable type was developed as little wood blocks. They were maybe like two inches by two inches and the metal typesetter would allow a space for you to drop in the capital into the page. Oh, look at that. I don't know if that's that's where drop caps is. It might be the fact that the capital letter would sometimes drop below the baseline of the first line. So maybe a couple theories we have here. But continued on post-Gutenberg invention, which is great. They were used for all sorts of content, whether that's religious texts or palm reading or the history of fireworks is cited as a topic that could have a drop cap. So it wasn't necessarily just for the most regal of purposes. It was for, you know, visual interest and printers loved using them. And it would really transform a page of just symmetrical gray blocks into something a little bit more lively. And I kind of want to talk about also all the different kinds of drop caps because of some fun ones in here. This kind of reminds me of the ex libri that we talked about uh, mm, a couple yeah. months ago. Another another type of drop cap, I'm not going to go through them all, inhabited. So one that has people or mythical beings or faces in them. There's one with creble, which used to be my favorite type of drop cap, which had this beautiful stippled dot pattern in the background. I know that was employed a lot in the arts and crafts movement. And then I, it also said there was a speaking drop cap. So it's designs that represent the first letter of a subject matter. So... I thought that was pretty interesting. Like if we're, for example, talking about Game of Thrones, let's say the next chapter is all about dragons, but your first word in your section isn't necessarily dragons. You might still do a D in the drop cap to like hint at the content moving forward. That's so interesting. Weird, right? So that was really fun. All sorts of different ones that you can definitely research. And if you want to go deep into the history of drop caps, definitely will see a lot of examples of these. And so, you know, they were, they came in and out of fashion a lot. Some people say that in the mid 1600s, drop caps fell out of fashion because newspapers allowed different visuals to start existing amongst text. And so that purpose was kind of starting to feel outdated. But then other people say that really the Bauhaus was kind of the end of drop caps in contemporary culture because all the modernists were like, why are we adding this ornament to our page designs? So classic. But today, you know, people that want to have a nod to kind of the historical book design of the past really do love drop caps. And I feel like designers really have a long lasting love for drop caps. And we've seen that with Jessica Hish's daily drop cap project, where I think after that was published, they got her on the map. And she was also commissioned by Penguin to do a whole series of books. And each book had a drop cap that was the 
cover of the book. I, didn't I had, know about that. yeah, I think I had Madame Bovary from that collection at a, at a certain specific time, and it was so beautiful. So, yeah, pretty exciting stuff. Wow, that's really fun. You like, you like swam through that. That was fantastic. I mean, I feel like I just touched the tip of the iceberg as I always do with these nerd alerts. I get as much as I can this time, usually off of the internet, but pretty interesting. And I think a nerd alert that I definitely want to do after this one is thinking about how the arts and crafts movement, how that really influenced typography. And while there was drop caps before the arts and crafts movement, which was like the late 1800s, early 1900s, there's quite a few things that we consider really elevated book design that came out of that movement that maybe we don't always accredit it to those peeps. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I don't think I, I would have even considered how influential that could be, but I could I can imagine now one or two things that you might be talking about teasing. Mm -hmm. I'm also really curious if if there's any fellow nerds out there with interesting ideas for nerd alert that they want to send in. If you have a cool idea that you think might be fun, just email us, you know? Yeah, please do. Our inbox is open. And we love getting emails. Oh, we do. That John Mayer one from Derek was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. All right. I hope everybody's having a great week out there and love and life, love and type. And we're going to be back next week with even more great finds for you. Do, 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 do